Hey everybody, Randy here. Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank one of our sponsors for this episode, and that is, of course, our good friends at Precision Pro Golf. No Laying Up is brought to you by Precision Pro Golf. And right now, Precision Pro Golf has launched their Father's Day sale, and you can add the NX9 Slope to your golf bag for $25 off. Here's a little secret about Father's Day sales, too. You don't even have to be a father to purchase one for yourself. You can still add the award-winning rangefinder to your golf bag for $25 off, which is the biggest deal of the year. Or be your dad's favorite kid by giving him what will surely be his favorite Father's Day gift this year. Everyone here at No Laying Up uses the NX9 slope. It has all the features you want in a rangefinder, including crystal clear display, slope adjusted distances, target lock, pulse vibration, and a built-in magnet so it's always within easy reach. And not only is it a great range finder that you can trust, but Precision Pro offers the best warranty and customer service in the business. They have real people on the line, so when you email or call, someone answers. Plus, it's the only range finder that comes with lifetime battery replacements, which is a hell of a deal. So right now, go to precisionprogolf.com, Add our favorite rangefinder, the NX9 Slope, to your golf bag or your dad's golf bag for $25 off for Father's Day. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. And now on to our episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Trap Draw Podcast. My name is Randy. I am joined today. Uh, this is what we like to call a perfect club episode. And uh, I'm joined by a couple of, you know, I don't know, perfect gentlemen. I don't think they would want me to call them that, but uh, certainly near perfect in my eyes. First, uh, DJ Pihowski live somewhere just outside Chicago in the northern parts of Illinois. Uh, Hello, welcome. How are you today, DJ? I'm doing good, Randy. Ready to uh, join the trap draw in the fight against Lyme disease. Perfect. Uh, and then back after such a rousing success of a first Perfect Club appearance, we had to invite him back, Mr. Kevin Van Valkenburg. KVV, good day. How are you? Guys, I'm great. Uh, neither of you have kids, uh, so I just want to sort of talk briefly about how before a lot of like school discussions now, there's this trend in sort of saying, before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that uh, this lesson is taking place on the stolen lands of the such and such tribe or whatever. So before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that we're going to be commenting on the sort of emptiness of content uh, on the internet and the poisoning of our brains for a piece of content that will appear on the internet. You know what? As as we learned in this piece of content, self awareness does not absolve you of anything. KVV, no, so nice no. try. <laughs> you know what, DJ? I purposely did that because I was trying to uh, <laughs> disarm that criticism that might come at us, and it's an asshole thing that I do. You know, it's um, just an insecure, and you saw right through it, uh, which I knew you would. So my counterattack to that is good. No, sir. Never mind. <laughs> 
so we're talking if you're really annoyed you should turn off the podcast right now because it's, it's gonna sure. be a lot of that for sure uh of course you you've seen in the episode title we are talking inside the new i don't know comedy special i hesitate to call it a stand-up special by bo burnham currently playing on netflix uh just recently came out at the end of may and guys it it is it's a lot um I, I don't even know a good jumping in point. I don't know if you want to get right into the content itself or discuss Bo Burnham. Uh, where DJ, I think you've you've known Bo for for quite a while. I think you were watching his upstairs home videos. Uh, where do we start here? Even I would say I I know him in that I've watched his internet videos, which is kind of a whole can of worms to unpack. Do you know him? Do you not know him? That's kind of I guess what the special's a little bit about. But uh, yeah, I've I feel like I he's one of the few internet people that uh, has been extremely relatable for a really long time. In that you've seen him as a 15 year old making funny fart videos, kind of up in his. Uh, up in his bedroom, uh, he was a very kind of precocious uh, teenage songwriter, writing stuff very mature beyond his years, but uh, probably fairly cringy if he was to go look back at him now, which, again, is another element of inside that I think we'll probably talk about. But uh, And then we've kind of also, he's just kind of truly grown up on the internet. Uh, he's a very similar age. I think he's probably three years younger than me. Uh, and... So, yeah, just watching kind of as the Internet became a massive, massive part of my life, both as a as a high school student, as a college student, as a professional uh, and and kind of as I felt myself get sucked deeper and deeper into the the black hole of the Internet. I think he's been uh, one of the voices that's that's been speaking on that effect uh, for quite a long time. And now we've seen. A little bit of uh, what his thoughts on it have become. I wouldn't say they're super optimistic. Uh, and yeah, that, that kind of leads us to, uh, to inside. Yeah. And just to, to follow up on that and set the stage, uh, this is his fifth more or less comedy special. Uh, he started in 2009 when he was, gosh, before he turned 20. Uh, truly a, a comet, right? A, a shooting star in, in this space. Um, and as you said, somebody that has, we're kind of seeing his evolution and maturation before our eyes. And this was his last special, Make Happy, was 2016. Obviously, being 2021 now, five years, uh, we'll certainly get into why it's been five years. That plays a big part in Inside. Um, KVV, are you overly familiar with Bo Burnham and, and his work prior to, to Inside? Uh, almost not at all. I mean, I think that I, if you had said his name, that I might have um, been like, that sounds familiar. Maybe I scrolled across one of his uh, wacky uh, song parody type videos, but I did not know him at all. In fact, when I when we sort of started talking about, hey, we should watch this, or somebody had sort of recommended that we do a perfect club on this, I was like, I think that guy was in like uh, that a perfectly um, a good woman. What was the movie that he was in? The uh, uh, Promising Young, young Woman. woman. Yeah. Promising D Young Woman. Which, DJ hated it, by the way. Right. Not, okay. Not true. So I'm probably the only person to like think of Promising Young Woman as the first sort of experience, like exposure to Bo Burnham as his his uh, breakout role. Yeah, and. Um, 
so I, I was came to it uh, almost entirely new, uh, which I think was good because it's a different perspective uh, than a lot of people. And um, I was thinking about this a lot today. Like, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in like the Netflix boardroom executive meeting when he turned this in. Because I'm sure that like Bo Burnham has uh, a deal with Netflix of some kind of like, hey, you're going to do five comedy specials for us or whatever over the such and such period of time. And they probably, you know, got word like, hey, hey, Bo's got a new thing. He's, he's been filming it during quarantine. Uh, I can't wait to see this. And to just sort of see, I mean, maybe <laughs> they knew, you know, knowing that he's pretty smart and pretty different, that they knew they were going to get something totally different. But uh, I also would just love to see the kind of look of mixture of horror and uh, perhaps, you know, uh, admiration for when they sat down and watched this. You think people in the room like, guys, is do we know is Bo okay? Has, has yeah. anybody talked to Bo lately? <laughs> did, did he himself send this in, or, or did someone get this off his computer? Or, he's good, right? <laughs> um, should we should we start, Randy, with a little bit of uh, kind of what this is, what the what the structure is? Absolutely, uh, a, little, a little bit of that, and just you know, I think we we will say this at the beginning of all perfect clubs. But if you haven't watched it, you should go watch it. It's not that long, less than an hour and a half uh, on Netflix. Very accessible. Watch it and uh, and then come back to us. Uh, obviously, we're not gonna, you know, there, there's not gonna be a no spoilers situation. Like we're we're gonna pretty much talk about it all. So uh, I think you'd get a lot more out of it if you were to watch it first. But having said that, uh, it is about you know 86 minutes or so of uh, of complete one man show, right? And that plays a massive part in uh, just about all of it. Uh, I think we can talk about the production aspect of it and and what's interesting about that because there was certainly a lot to take away from that that angle but uh it's Bo in a room he has written everything he has directed everything he has lit everything he shot everything he's edited everything uh and that uh and then he's he's kind of spun all that into this wacky disjointed uh yeah special like you said Randy I don't know if you can really call it a comedy special but just a uh a special unlike anything I've ever seen. I'm, I'm guessing you guys would echo that. And uh, yeah, that any, anything I'm missing there, that's kind of the, the summary of it, I guess. Yeah. And I think, you know, if people haven't seen him, his big thing is he's, he's very musical. Um, and it's not in a, you know, I was thinking like, you know, is he like weird Al? Like, no, he's not doing like goofy. Well, he, it is a little goofy, uh, but he's not doing like cover songs and, uh, I assume he writes and, and makes all these songs himself. And they're at times like very profound and deep and cynical and then goofy and funny and random. Um, but I think that's what I just continually get struck by with him is like, he's a good to, to me, at least he's a good musician. Like it's, his songs I find are very easy to listen to just from a purely like, you know, Oh, they, 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 they sound good. They, they aren't like um, off putting to me in a musical type of way. Uh, so that's what, that's a lot of what you get in not only this special, but his other specials as well. One of the best things I think I heard about like someone, I think said this about Louis TK before he sort of turned out to be sort of a shit bag, but like that the best comedians are sort of like the closest thing we have to like modern social philosophers like they're really good social critics and that's why 
you hear a lot of like, oh, cancel culture, you know, it's really, and, and like a lot of the best comedians are really, they're not like necessarily trying to make you laugh. They're trying to sort of make you think and laugh at the same time and laugh in kind of like, a, oh shit kind of way. Like I, uh, maybe I'm this closer to crying than I am to laughing about this. I think Burnham is, does a really good job of that for maybe our kind of generation, like understanding like, oh, the world is kind of super fucked up if you slow down just enough to think about it. Uh, and after I watched this, I found myself, I, it was, I was thinking about who to recommend it to to see. And I recommended it to a couple of people who just didn't like really get it. And it made me almost sort of angry at them because I was like, you know, it pisses me off that you're not like internet poisoned enough to like really connect with this because I am like, I'm, I'm the perfect kind of online amount to both think deeply about this and see like how fucking smart it is and be angry at other people who think, Oh no, like, it's just not, I don't get the sincerity of it. Like it's, you know, it's too ironic or cool. Like it's not that to me. It's, it's friggin' pretty genius. I think that's yeah. extremely well said. That's that's exactly how I felt. I was very paranoid at at uh, recommending it to anybody for for that exact reason because it, it feels vi- like I, I sat back and and thought about it. And I think a couple interesting things. One, you know, you mentioned kind of the the role of comedians and how that's changed a little bit over the past you know twenty thirty years. And that's kind of how the special starts, right? Is with this this overarching theme of like, man, should we really should we really be joking at a, at a time like this? Like everything is so fucked up like should we really even be laughing right now and he does an unbelievable job of kind of you know painting himself and and just really like taking all the air out of the balloon of this savior complex that he has where it's like you know only truly only i can can really heal the world with comedy And he's got that that great venn diagram of uh weird al and malcolm x and me in the middle <laughs> and like it's just, I think, kind of tips his hand as as to you know the wink and like uh, how in on the joke he is about this idea of both how stupid uh, what he is 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 you know, but also like how petrified he is at the idea of not doing it or of of doing something else, and how petrified he is at the idea of being earnestly proud of what he's doing, and and all of those different things all. You know, I, I know I texted you guys uh, about this after we watched it, but it was like, yeah, as a, uh, you know, 30 something white guy who sits in his bedroom and makes uh, seemingly pointless content uh, for a living. Like, yeah, there was one or two things to relate to from this. I, I you know, there, there are a couple of things we could speak on probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to call out one of the things on that whiteboard in that opening sequence, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody paused it at, at certain times just to kind of read all that stuff he had put up on the whiteboard and uh, just a special shout out to the you know comedy equals tragedy plus time and then time equals money and so then his third one was well um does comedy then equal 9-11 plus money question mark <laughs> and it's like <laughs> oh yeah um just uh yeah, so that that kind of sets the stage, though. I, I feel like that sets the stage for one distinct layer of what Inside touches on. And I feel like there are, I have like four, and there might be more, um, but just the role of comedy and his position in comedy, I feel like is one clear like 
theme of the show. Uh, we can get into like the internet culture and social media, I feel like is, is kind of another standalone theme. Uh, mental illness and his struggles with mental illness, I feel like are another theme. Uh, and then just like the technical expertise of shooting, lighting, editing, recording. Like, I feel like that could almost stand alone as its own theme. Uh, but I'm curious before we dive in, I think we can kind of take it sequentially, but I, I, I feel like all those are running amongst themselves and intermixing and connecting. Uh, is there anything that I'm missing? Can you guys think of anything that, you know, is also a big kind of tentpole here? I think kind of the the uh, unorganizedness of it or the disorganization of it is kind of a theme in itself too, right? I mean, the the big a big part of it is uh, the internet, and he's got. I mean, probably the the most poignant song I think probably in the in the special is the Welcome to the Internet, and it's you know, can I can I interest you in everything all of the time? And uh, that's kind of how the special feels, right? It just jumps around from thing to thing. Some of it's connected, some of it's not. Uh, the random Jeffrey Bezos interludes are are thrown in right amongst, you know, this incredibly heartfelt stuff right amongst this incredibly, you know, ruthless social commentary. I mean, it's just, it, it's all thrown into a bit of a blender and it, it almost kind of feels like scrolling your phone, right? And just kind of seeing what's, what's next, what's next, what's next. And uh, I, I almost feel like the structure of it is kind of a theme in itself. And, and very intentional, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's not a, that's not an accident. Um, the one other thing I guess that I think is important from, and it doesn't really say any of this in it, but I think it's sort of the undercurrent of understanding it is like the, there's a sincerity paradox, right? It's like, if you, you have to believe, I think that, that Burnham's things are both like his feelings are sincere. And then it is not entirely like a disconnected bit in order to sort of just make you laugh or to make you think like, there's some real like actual shit in here. Like, and so when he's sitting there talking about like, you know, my mental health is an all time low, there's a point where prior to the camera coming on, he set up the camera and decided to talk about this. Right. So there's a self-consciousness in that, that I think for some people having recommended it to people who didn't like it, they thought that that it was sort of off-putting like, Oh, poor Bo Burnham's like a rich white sort of, you know, star on the internet and has a Netflix special and here he is complaining about the difficulty of his life to try to sort of get, you know, empathy or sympathy or whatever. And I'm sort of being like, no, fuck it. Like you, you don't understand. Like it's impossible to talk about these kind of things, especially in the internet world. If the immediate like criticism of that is, well, I don't believe it's sincere. Like you have to sort of accept on some level that, irony isn't always going to be the default kind of mechanism here. Right. And so for me, like it's, I, we talked a little bit about this with in and of itself, if you're willing to buy into the idea that he's actually doing this, not as a bit, but as like an actual, like health, mental health examination and then an examination of the internet, then I think it really resonates with you. And if you're so kind of like, honestly, in some ways, like poisoned by the internet that you can't take anything in it's a sincere, earnest way, then I don't think this is for you. I don't know. I, I, that's interesting to me because I have no qualms taking him at face value with his struggles and uh, feeling that conflict of, you know, just, he, he doesn't, he doesn't know the answer, right? I think he's exploring this 
just the same as anybody else. Uh, but that's interesting. People don't feel a, a sense of genuine, um, I, I don't know, emotion or... I think he wants to put you on your back foot on that, right? And he wants you to think about whether you believe him or not. Otherwise, he wouldn't show all the shots of him setting up the camera, right? I mean, there's there's a ton of those where it's, it's let me make sure the lighting is right. Let me get my measuring tape out. And then, okay, now I'm going to sit in front of the camera and cry. And you don't know like what is... I mean, candidly, like you, you know that he turned the camera on for all of it, but you don't know what he's... What is acting? What's not acting? What's performative? What's not? And I think there's something... Uh, really extremely resonant about that when it comes to the internet, when everybody is performing all the time and you don't know what is, you know, you don't know what's real. You don't know what's done for performative reasons to try to get likes and faves. You don't know what's done. You know, it's, it's just the whole thing is it just turns into this big flat experience that is just constant emotions and totally emotionless, like all at once. And yeah, the way that he captured that was like, kind of a uh, a bullet to the brain a little bit for someone who spends all their time consuming stuff like that. And I guess I think that yeah, go ahead. I just think that if you there's a lot there's some people who just don't want to think that deeply about this kind of stuff. They don't want to think about how much of my Instagram feed is totally performative and how much of it is sincere. And so when you start to ask those questions, it starts to kind of upset people because it's kind of like do you believe that your reality is is a conscious reality or do you, are we actually all plugged into machines and none of us has any sort of like, you know, conscious ability to make our own choices. And so I I think that that's scary on some level as a philosophical question. I mean, I I was thinking a lot about it when he's lying on the ground talking, you know, he's got a blanket covered him and he's got the microphone by him. It's my favorite. Yeah. It's such a great sort of skit. And I, I, the first time I watched it, I was like, I made me laugh and it also made me kind of like, horrified to think about like my own children like and their brains being poisoned by their net and like you know maybe the flattening of the whole human existence for the interests of a few salamander died silicon valley you know people was a bad thing not good not good i i have the quote because I, I i can i read it i Please i, read it. I, I, I had to write it down i'll pick it up he says flattening flattening of the entire subjective human reality into a lifeless exchange of value that benefits nobody except for a handful of bug-eyed salamanders in Silicon Valley. Maybe that as a way of life forever. Maybe that's not good. (laughs) So that is like really smart social commentary. I think that, you know, has been said elsewhere, but maybe never that succinctly and that perfectly for my uh, preference. And also the idea that like maybe Bo Burnham just like filmed himself for two hours, like lying in bed, uh, you know, saying a lot of things until he sort of struck gold, right? In that one thing, like that's poets do that shit all the time, and musicians do that shit all the time. But maybe he wrote that bit, laid down in that blanket, and was like, "I'm gonna look really apathetic and bored, and I'm gonna be performing on something here," and then just kind of ad libbed like, "I'm horny" at the end, which made it kind of all like <laughs> disarmed it and made it funny again and made it even more internety. So I don't know, like I that's what I think I mean by is like sincerity is like in order to film like a one man special like this, you have to both be filming yourself at all the time and, um, and sort of freelancing and, and finding the best stuff, but also really thinking it out and plotting it out. And that's, there's a consciousness to that, that could be, I think seen as kind of like 
oh, well, are you doing this then again for the same reasons that you're criticizing? And I think he would be like, yeah, all of that is true. He kind of says that in the, uh, you know, there's a couple of like sort of fake stand-up sets that he that he does, right? Where he's got the one spotlight and he's sitting on the stool and he does, he, he does a good one where, he, you know, he's talking about like, can anyone, anyone in the world shut the fuck up about any single topic <laughs> for any stretch of time? And he's going off and, he, you know, he, he just does this thing where, you know, we'll get to another one in a second, but he constantly is like disarming himself or, or trying to poke fun or, or trying to get ahead of your commentary of of everything, which is the most Internet thing in the world. Uh, but he's, you know, he's well, you're not shutting the fuck up right now. And that's true. <laughs> and, he, and he just constantly is like is kind of doing this circular uh, commenting on commentary, which is pretty much all the internet has been for about, you know, the last 15 or so years now. And I think yeah. that really shines through in the, uh, the reaction video that he does where he plays the, uh, the, the, ba- the bad, but very, very funny jazz, uh, song yeah. about the unpaid intern. And then he breaks it down and then he breaks down himself, breaking it down. And then he breaks down himself, breaking it down, breaking it down. And it just, you get this feeling of like, Oh my God, maybe that's all that Twitter is, is just these like, the, you know, I believe uh, Father John Misty calls it the the commentary to comment on, you know, and it's just constantly, constantly this uh, horrible cycle that just makes you hate everything and never want to consume anything because there never seems to be uh, uh, stopping anymore at that first level of like, man, I just watched that video and it was it was totally fun. And then you've you've got people, you know, you you log on to Twitter to see what else someone else is saying about it. It's like, well, you know, that really propped up like fascism. Uh, it's like, oh, man, no, I didn't know that. I, I, <laughs> fuck, I didn't I didn't even I just wanted to like it. But all right, I guess I'm a fascist now. And, uh, you know, it's just that that over and over and over is kind of what most of, uh, not most of, what a lot of people's internet experiences kind of turned into, it seems like. I mean, you guys feel that. I, I feel that sometimes. Like when I get burnt out with, I mean, hell, even like golf Twitter, it's just like, oh God, like, I, I don't know. We're just, it's just those layers and adding and adding and adding. And um, yeah, sometimes I just like have to pull away and just like not, not engage for sometimes even like a week or two, right? Where it's just like, yo i'm i'm out i think he he kind of speaks on that a little bit too where it's you know that uh luxury i guess of of dropping out or having the self-awareness to say like all right you know what this is bad for me i need to i need to check out for a while is you know is one thing if you're 33 or 35 or 40 or whatever and you kind of have uh you kind of have that self-awareness to do that but when you're a 14 12 year old kid and your entire universe like you know is starting to revolve around that digital world when you're however young i mean like yeah i don't see that problem like getting better uh over the next 10 years it's interesting i remember when jonathan franzen came out with like his third novel i think maybe it was purity or something and he talks a lot about in the press stuff about i'm not on twitter like it's just not good for me you know, I, I get maybe why some people are, but I just, I'll never be on Twitter. And like, people were so mad. Like, John Franzen thinks he's so fucking too good for Twitter. Like, fuck this guy. He's just so proof that he's so out of touch. And it was just so making Jonathan Franzen's point for him, right? Like, if, if you are, the people who are most angry about, and my friend Wright does this sometimes, he says, you know, I don't have a Twitter account. And people get so angry about it. And it's always the people whose 
like world is way too caught up in Twitter and they can't quite see that who get sort of upset about it. And I totally see that kind of poisoning a lot in like people who are like, no, actually, I, I think I'm going to just like focus on the thing that I really care about, which is art instead of like, you know, quote tweeting people and dunking on them and owning them for and giving myself 10 seconds of satisfaction and relief from the emptiness in my heart. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel it a lot too with, uh, yeah, I, I think there's definitely been some significant Twitter burnout in my, in my life, but it's a lot too, is just like the, the pressure to respond to something immediately. And, and when you delete it from your phone or you do, you know, which like candidly, I've, I've definitely uh, broken glass in case of emergency a couple of times over the last few years where it's like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to not have this on my phone. Cause I don't really think I can handle it uh, right now. Cause I'm just going to every 10 seconds fire it up for no reason and look at it. Cause my brain is poisoned. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have that option, it's, it's like, man, you know, maybe I should just sit and think about this for a second and then uh, maybe let my thoughts evolve over maybe even an hour or maybe even a day. And then uh, I wonder if I'll have a more nuanced take on something down the road rather than just uh, truly tweeting through it, I guess, as uh, as they like to call it. And I mean, you said something just a little bit ago about, you know, if you're 14 years old and this has quite literally been your whole existence, right? Your whole reality is these social media channels. And like, I, I get bummed out sometimes um, being out in public and you just look around and, and literally every single person is, is head down in their phone. Right. Um, and I'm not saying I'm above that. I'm that person a lot of times. Uh, I mean, hell, like it happens at family gatherings too. And I, I just, can you imagine being 10, 12 years old or younger, but you know, of the age where, yeah, you just, your, your, your whole reality, your normal is just seeing everybody in the world constantly just glued to their screens and not thinking a thing about that. It it really gets me cynical a little bit. It it bums me out. Chaps your ass. I went to, uh, I went to Jamaica once with uh, my ex-wife and, we were it was like this couple's sort of like retreat whatever and there was this like newlywed couple that was there and the entire time like through dinners through like literally they were on the snorkeling boat and like they were just staring in their phones like not talking to each other and i was like boy this is a dark beginning for your uh for your i mean not to criticize my own marriage but like you know (laughs) maybe those people are still together but wow like i was just like wow like you guys don't even really want to like talk to each other on your own honeymoon i i feel this some of this kind of like scary like reality with my own kids who be my oldest is just about to graduate from fifth grade and she every single kid in sixth grade has a phone and she's like you know don't you think i can get a phone and i'm like i, I don't know like I, I almost would rather have you be a total pariah in middle school than like be completely internet poisoned the way that you know half of you know all your other peers are i do want to say also if that couple's listening come on the trap trial defend yourself <laughs> We'd love, yes. we'd love to hear both sides of the story. Throw some shade about Kevin's marriage, you know, if you like. I mean, it's you know, he wasn't. They weren't all sunshine either, you know. This is not. This is not a safe space for me. It's a safe space for you. <laughs> oh. No, I know that. I can't imagine. Yeah, I don't have kids, and and can't imagine that feeling. Truly, I mean, it's it's what I was saying earlier. I mean, I'm a 33 year old 
man, I feel like I like can't handle it a lot of the time. Like I, I can't imagine if my brain was also not developed. <laughs> Everybody, Randy here. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I want to thank our other sponsor, and that is DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It's easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. And right now, listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, golf, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So right now, listeners, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code TRAPDRAW, all one word, TRAPDRAW, when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code TRAPDRAW for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Thank them very much for sponsoring the Trap Draw. And now back to the episode. To, yeah. to pivot, I would just say Sako was the first moment in the special that I was like, okay, like... Bo and I are pretty aligned philosophically. <laughs> like I would, having not been aware of him prior, like I, the first, you know, two songs, I was like, this is interesting, this is interesting. And I was like, oh yeah, like Sako is, is a hilarious, maybe obvious, but very hilarious uh, dig into like the way that we teach in schools and the way that history is sort of portrayed and a lot of, of our current moments. So that, I don't know what the moment for you guys was or the special kind of like really, clicked but i was like i'm gonna like this entire thing i'm pretty confident i mean mr so- come on mr Sacco. i that's catnip for me I, I i absolutely love it i think for me that the really early i mean i think it started immediately like when he shown the he had the spotlight on his head and shined it on the the disco ball and just you know now I've made you some content. Uh, Daddy made you your favorite open wide was just like, yeah, that that's what it's all about, man. Just uh, it's making content that that was I had a massive smile on my face. Uh, and then, that, that, you know, that massive smile faded and then it came back periodically. But that was uh, I, I pretty much loved it throughout, I think. Anytime somebody um, ironically refers to themselves as daddy, I'm usually <laughs> all in. <laughs> Uh, I kind of like Neil Brennan is a guy that does yes. that a lot, and it just it it really, it really works for me. Um, also, calls himself the kid a lot, which I think is where yeah. why we started saying that. Yeah, and you know, it's back to my other point about like philosophers is like I think honestly that's what made Chappelle and Neil Brennan so smart is that they were essentially like using humor to offer like biting social commentary slash philosophy. That's what made Chappelle legendary, as opposed to like a lot of other shitty comedians, you know, uh, that are, or that are very funny, but don't like have the same resonance as Chappelle. Like Chappelle's going on like what, 20 years now, whatever, 15 years since it came out. Do you guys want to hear the, uh, the Mr. Sacco? Yes. uh, Dialogue. (laughs) Absolutely. 
The simple narrative taught in every history class is demonstrably false and pedagogically classist. Don't you know the world is built with blood and genocide and exploitation? That is how the world works. <laughs> I'm shocked that that resonated with you, Randy. <laughs> oh, God. I like, uh, but then I think it's just genius how he turns it. He essentially demonstrates exactly what he's talking about through his interaction then with with Mr. Sacco and teaching him a painful lesson uh, before, like at the very end, doing great harm to him. It's it just was like I'm not sure he could have made a better five minutes just for like my pleasure. And I think he also, you know, there's another big theme in there too of you know kind of trying to take the the air out of his own balloon as well when his, you know, Bo, the character in this particular sketch, his natural inclination is kind of like, well, what can I do to, you know, what can I do to fix it? And it's, it's like, dude, are you not fucking listening to me, man? Like, this isn't about your, your self-actualization here. Just like, I don't know, read a book or donate some money or something. This isn't about you. And uh, I mean, that's kind of the, th- <laughs> kind of the theme of like what he wrestles with for the whole rest of the show. Yes, yes. Or it's like, dude, just either get with it or just get out of the fucking way. Like, <laughs> just shut up. KBV, I'm glad, you know, I think you and I are kind of the same wavelength. <laughs> I think you're right, but I think you're right. I just, I, I, it spoke to one of my also, like, biggest things, which is performative outrage does almost nothing. And, like, if you actually want to make a fucking difference, like, there are many ways for you to actually go out and do it. And so the entire, I think, uh, social media ecosystem functions on like, like thrives on a huge fuel of performative outrage. And it's just like, that's the cycle that just keeps rebooting itself every single day, whether it's like humor based or, you know, tragedy based or whatever. It's like, if you are really that upset about social conditions in America, you can go and register people to vote and you can protest at your local thing. Like doing something on Twitter doesn't make a bit of fucking difference except for briefly make you feel seen. And that's what I find kind of spot on in all of this kind of cultural commentary. At the same time, acknowledging that like Bo Burnham is doing something performative just to try to sort of broach the subject and get the, those ideas into the larger cultural uh, stream of thought yeah and i don't know if it's the next uh is it the next sketch the the brand manager one it goes right yeah. into the brand <laughs> consultant yeah where he's basically discussing like you know I, it's too late for brands now to just sit on the sidelines you've got to get in the game you've got to you've got to let people know what your opinions are otherwise how are you gonna you know then create more brand awareness and so that's it the, i mean maybe one of the lines of of the special i think is the question is is now will you join wheat fins in the fight against Lyme disease? Lyme disease. <laughs> yeah. He said yeah, he sets it out. The the question isn't what service you provide or what you're selling, it's what do you stand for? Hom <laughs> um, bagel bites, what do you stand, stand for? for. <laughs> Which I think again is just like completely taking the piss out of, you know not only do we not care what like these brands think, but you don't need to be sharing your opinion on every single topic all the time uh constantly and so that he does does a great job of that but it's funny because i feel like as a like we kind of do though in a way care what the i mean maybe it's just performative but like don't you think we in some sense we 
we do care what these brands do and act and and behave like. And I, I, at least for me, I think some of that comes to, you know, they have such power and influence uh, (laughs) through, you know, Citizens United for one. And like, I feel like there almost is a responsibility to be like, you know, like, please do be good, good stewards and good citizens because like our society is completely fucked that we've allowed you guys just to be like people, quote unquote. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a little bit of a, I, I, I don't know what the word for it is, but it's like, there is some truth to it in that we, we do like demand that these brands stand for something in certain cases. I always think it's funny when, uh, when commercials like make people cry. Like, because I, if you step back and think about this, you're like, wait a minute. Like, you're just totally allowing yourself to be manipulated by fucking corporate vampires who are using that approach to your emotional, whatever connectors in your brain to sell you shit, like to sell you diapers or to sell you like, like Google is one of the most, you know, invasive presences in our lives and yet there's all these really good google commercials about how you should start a google account for your kid when they're born and then email them all the stuff like it's a diary and uh, here's the pictures of you and like you know it, it makes you like it manipulates you in a way that's like really fucking gross when you think about it and you know nike does the same shit too like we support you know pregnant women or whatever and we're just do it and go and call them stuff with kaepernick and yet like they're making shoes with seven-year-olds in china and so all of that, like whenever, every time I feel a commercial make me have an emotional reaction to something, it makes me feel dirty. I feel like, God, like I cannot believe that Nike commercial where it's like Rory growing up as a kid and like emulating Tiger. I think it's called like Ripples. It's like those. And he, the very last scene, like he and Tiger play together. That one did me so dirty. Like I feel still gross <laughs> thinking about that because even though on some level, like it's, there's a truth to it. It's all super gross, right? Because it was just meant to sell me like shitty Nike golf clubs. Did you got to tell the story of uh, our friend from that we ran into at Tallahassee? Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. L- l- I don't think he'll mind us sharing this, but uh, Jay Revel, friend of the program. Uh, he, we saw him in, uh, in the first episode of Strapped. Tallahassee and I mean he he just he was speaking about this exactly and you know described this scene that was basically you know it's basically like the scene from Dumb and Dumber when they're they're watching the uh like an MCI commercial or something like that they're they're crying and they're in the hotel room and just wiping their wiping their faces with a hundred dollar bills and uh Jay was talking about having that same scene he's he was basically talking about being a parent and you know, now, now he's, he's seeing everything differently. And his mom sent him this, I forget what it was. Was it like a German commercial or something? It was like some, some yeah, it wasn't even American. Exactly. It was just like some foreign commercial, German commercial about this old man, like working out every day. And then at the end of the commercial, you see that he was working out so that he could lift his granddaughter up to put the star on the tree. And like, Jay's like, he's like, God, I'm sitting in the, in the locker room at Capital City Country Club, just fucking bawling my eyes out. And I can't figure (laughs) out why I'm so mad at everybody. I'm mad at my mom for even sending me this stupid thing. And uh, yeah, it just was, I think he, I think he would relate to, uh, to what you're saying. There's a great bit in the corrections about that, where it's like a, a teacher is trying to sort of teach uh, a class is a friends and book, sorry, the Jonathan friend to bring it back to friends. And, and, and he, there's these like series of like shampoo commercials where like someone is dying of cancer. And it's like, it's told in like a serial way and all these kids 
in this college class are, are like super into it and like talking about how, you know, the, the woman, whoever is dying is able to spend some time with her mother or whatever. And the professor chip is like, no, like what the fuck? Like, you, don't you realize that like, <laughs> you're, you're using a fake story about someone's using a fake story about cancer to sell you shampoo. Like, don't you get it? And the students are all like, you're just an old, like out of touch boomer, man. Like you're the one who doesn't get it. Like, and maybe the brands, you know, maybe that's the power of the brands these days is that they're the true storytellers. <laughs> I, I would get very uncomfortable. I, I, you've noticed it post 9-11 for sure. And I think it's only ramped up gradually, but just the brands just wrapping themselves in the American flag and patriotism and supporting the troops. Not that any of those things are, are bad, right? Uh, but like, why do I have to buy a, a case of Miller High Life so you can like donate a dollar of that to the tr- like? Why don't you guys just fucking donate to the troops if you want to do that? Like, why do why do why are you guilting me into buying you, a case? Why are you putting that on High me, Life? man? Don't right, put that on like, me. so now if I don't buy the Miller High Life, now I'm not supporting the troops. Like, I got so resentful of stuff like that. Um, but it's just There's a yeah. cartoon. There's a cartoon graphic that shows up every 9-11 of the little Caesars pizza guy like holding an American flag and talking <laughs> about like remembering the, the fall and it's like little Caesars would like to remind you that we've we haven't forgotten about well, you, 9-11. Yeah, if you see it, like I mean it's it's not just big commercials, like it's gotten exponentially worse on Twitter. And I think all this maybe cycles back to circles back to what we were kind of talking about, but of course, the there's so many, but the, but the the one that always comes to mind for me is the uh, MLK when they photoshopped his head on the on the Seminoles football player. You know, it was was a, I think Florida State Athletic Department or something did that one. Like they're just, I, I mean, it's just epic. Like they're the it's, an, it's a true epidemic of of horribleness, and I, I feel like it's slowed down a little bit just because people have been dragged enough times now. But like for a couple of years there, it was just like. It's just like, what the fuck is going we're, on? What are we doing? We're yeah. only a couple of years removed from the Kylie Jenner Pepsi ad. Where of course. She, like, sort of, uh, she ended police, racism. Ended racism. And then like during the actual like riots this summer, like someone like recreated that thing, like actually tried to go and hand a Pepsi to this sort of militarized police. <laughs> it's like, God, the snake is eating its tail. Like our, yeah. our meme reality is becoming reality. Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't know about this Florida State. Yeah, the the oh, it's the, the go Florida State yeah. do something graphic with yeah. MLK. Almost looks like his hands out with a with a he football like receiver glove, and he's doing the chop. Yeah, I was gonna say SpaghettiOs always take some. I guess they had a terrible Pearl Harbor tweet one year. Um, you know, take a moment to remember Pearl Harbor with us, and it's from like the <laughs> SpaghettiOs Instagram account. It's just. <laughs> It's bleak, man. It's so and, bleak. And that's the kind of stuff, you know, circling back is like, Kevin, if you're recommending this to someone who isn't on Twitter 14 hours a day and doesn't ha- have any idea of what any of this shit is, like, yeah, it would be very pretentious and very annoying and kind of like confusing and weird. But uh, if you are <laughs> if you are in that in that world, it uh, it pretty much cuts to the core of a lot of what a lot of people have been doing for the last 15 years. Yeah, and I, I, and I texted you guys about this, but I think it's a good pivot to the, the white woman's Instagram. Some random quote from Lord of the Rings, incorrectly attributed to Martin Luther King. 
It's a it's pretty biting social commentary in the sense that like I know so many uh, men and women who are are very much into this kind of totally derivative like empty Instagram posting of like fuzzy socks and like here's some you know <laughs> here's some coffee foam and here's a here's a, a misattributed quote uh, <laughs> from Lord of, from Lord Lord of the Rigs misattributed to Martin Luther King I I was crying laughing when that when we got to that part and uh and then I think the genius of that bit is that it sort of slows down for a second and it's it's then Bo pretending to be like a woman talking to her dead mother uh in the the moment of like hey you know uh your your little girls still do you know doing okay i miss hugging you like i wish we could sit on the porch or whatever i got a boyfriend uh your little girl's not doing so bad and then it pivots right back into like goat cheese salad <laughs> like you know peace sign in, with blueberries and oatmeal and i thought that was so smart because i think it speaks to the fucked up uh, flattening of like all things where we're on this app where we're sharing things that are often sort of just like completely nonsensical live art and we're doing it mostly for connection with other people because like there is some sort of bigger hole in our heart and so on the same app where we share like check out my new skirt or my new golf clubs or my sneaks you're speaking to like dead relatives and you're like thinking that like they will hear you on some level and that this is the way that you kind of use that as therapy. And there's an algorithm that is using that same thing to sell you like skin lotion. Like, Oh, we've, this algorithm has determined that girls who've lost their moms or whatever might be interested in a vacation to Nashville. <laughs> whatever. And so that's fucking super smart and super dark. And DJ, you pointed out like the camera work. I'll, I'll sort of let you sort of explain that, but that that's what makes it like, I think obviously intentional and genius. Yeah. Just, he does a cool job on a couple different, a couple different ones. We kind of skipped over, uh, I think FaceTime with my mom is a, <laughs> is a, a really good one. I think that's pretty classic, uh, Bo Burnham, like, definitely not uh toothless like there's plenty of uh yeah. repressed uh shit he's working out in that one as well but it's a little more straightforward just kind of a funny premise like we're all in this pandemic and tonight i you know i told my boys i need some space i'm gonna facetime with my mom <laughs> and there's good stuff in there but uh he does it both on that one and, and on the white woman's instagram he kind of changes the aspect ratio which is weird because on the FaceTime one, so he obviously he shrinks it down to like a 16 by nine. So it looks like a, you know, it looks like a cell phone and you almost like don't even notice because you're so used to now, you know, whether it's because everybody's, you know, a filmmaker in uh, with a camera in their pocket or, or what, whatever the deal is, but you almost don't even notice that the camera or the, the aspect ratio shrinks like that because you're so used to seeing it. And he does the same thing with the white woman's Instagram. He shrinks it to kind of this square, like Instagram photos typically are. And then in that one moment where he's talking about, it's the woman speaking to her dead mom 
the, the camera kind of slowly widens and you get it all the way out to this widescreen that really like sucks you in and almost makes it feel a little bit more like uh, an important thing that's supposed to stand out. Right. And then quickly immediately snaps back to the square and the, the goat cheese salad, as you said. And I, I even think um, from somebody, not from the account creator's perspective, but just somebody, you know, scrolling through Instagram, it's so jarring to, you know, you're, you're scrolling and it's like, oh, this is a throwaway, not serious. This is whatever. Like, it's really jarring just to have all of that smashed together where it's like, oh, wait a second. This is like really heavy and sincere and important. And then here's like just a goofy post about nothing. It's just disconcerting as hell. And I know that's a, a theme throughout the, the whole special, but um, he touches I, on that a ton with the, uh, the welcome to the internet song, right? Where it's exactly it's like, yeah, here's, he's just listing off random shit. Just say, here's a, you know, here's a recipe you should cook. Here's a nine-year-old who died is just like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty much what it feels like. And uh, the, the kind of like heartlessness, or I guess we keep saying flattening, but I think that's the perfect word of like, kind of scrolling past that idea of like, Hey, here's a new story about a, you know, a nine-year-old who died of leukemia. It's like, eh, no, next. What else it, is it? It's, it's Oh, true. this person came out with a new album. Cool. I'll click on that. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, we joke about it, but it's like when everything matters, nothing matters. Yeah. Right? Like that's, that's the sense I get a little bit. Um, it had me just sort of thinking like how any of that ever changes. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I, it, one of the reasons like I still like message boards is it feels very much like you're more in control of your own journey, right? You're not just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. It's like an endless ream of like the, the topic changes every two and a half seconds. Uh, whereas like on a message board, you could still go find like a specific thing that you want to kind of narrow in and focus on. And then from within the confines of that subject, things can sort of pivot off of that and, and make you laugh or make you cry, or you could sort of set yourself up for something emotional or, or different. And, and there isn't any of that on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or anything. It's just kind of everywhere. And you, there's just this, I don't know that it ever changes because there's such a incentive to monetize that uh, feed for you to, to sell you shit that I think we're kind of stuck with it. It's Forever. <laughs> Forever. Which, again, just loops back into stuff that we've said. Um, I, I think one of the guys that's insured that, that we're stuck with that is uh, kind of talked about next, which is uh, Jeff Bezos. I know I texted you guys last night, watching it for the second time, like those, those two little like interstitials made me laugh so fucking hard. And I, I wish I could explain why. I don't really know. But just this idea of a kind of like synth pop, very vague, uh, nondescript kind of fake musician just riding so hard for like for Jeff Bezos. Like, congratulations, you did it is like, I think maybe honestly, it might have become my favorite line in the whole thing where uh, <laughs> he's talking about Zuckerberg and Bill Gates and Ward Buffett. And he's, he says, <laughs> fuck their wives drink their blood come on jeff get them and then he does this like <laughs> this insane little like weirdly off key uh like guitar solo that is so good mm -hmm. it just like it just and then he just screams and the song <laughs> the song cuts in the middle but it, it's man that made me laugh hard
Zuckerberg and Gates and Buffett Amateurs can fucking suck it Fuck their wives, drink their blood Come on, Jeff, get them! I, I, I got so tickled on the second little Jeff Bezos where he's wearing that full... <laughs> uh it's like a hunting camouflage yeah exactly and with the sunglasses i i don't know why it just delighted me you did it (laughs) oh and you know what's weird though is like you know bezos is the world's wealthiest person but like elon musk is like the third wealthiest person in the world and he has like a whole army of like fanboys who would probably sincerely like write a cool song about how elon musk is like an awesome dude and so it's like that that was almost like weird to me. I was thinking like, oh, this is like kind of you know, this is obviously funny because no one like just really loves Jeff Bezos unless you're you know sort of a shareholder. But God, there are people who like worship billionaires and think that they are some sort of gods, uh, and that's just gross. Yeah. To me. yeah. So I I think that takes us you know into the 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 kind of little sketch that you mentioned earlier where he's kind of laying amongst all the cables uh pontificating which is great uh that takes us into the sexting song which is really really good uh one thing i wanted to point out that i didn't notice till the second time around is just the attention to detail of setting the uh setting his little ac thermostat to 69 during the (laughs) (laughs) during that song i thought was really good uh but that's it's another song about just kind of like you know he talks about flattening kind of social relationships and family relationships. And that one is kind of the, just taking any kind of humanity out of uh, the act of sex as well, which is, he does a pretty good job of, of explaining what that feels like. Uh, I don't know if you guys had anything else to add on that one. Not that one in particular, uh, but to keep it moving, it it goes to, I think the next one is it goes to, it's quick, but you know, when he's just sitting on the stool with the knife and he's kind of being a, um, youtuber people on youtube like like at the end of the video like hey i love creating this content like thank you and he's so dead-eyed and obviously i think the knife representative of like yeah and if you don't keep watching and you don't keep like commenting i'm gonna kill myself is how i took it i don't know if that's that 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 kind of that one got me a little bit um and just how it it the camera stays on him and and you kind of focus in on his face and eyes and like, there's like a deep unhappiness seemingly there. Um, I think you just have this split second feeling of, cause I, I mean, dude, I've, I have watched so many of those, whether it's photography videos or, or editing videos or, or whatever, but just like, Hey guys, welcome back to the channel. So glad you're here. And I've never once selfishly, I guess, never thought like, man, what do these guys do? Like when the camera's not on and you just get that, like, that yeah. split second kind of feeling of, of that, that awkward where the, you know, it obviously should have cut off and it just stays with him on that extended shot is just very like, yeah, it's kind of, it, this is the, this is the high point, man. When, when this goes away, like we're, we're ready to do the next one. And uh, yeah, it was very unsettling. The whole thing did have me thinking too, about like the, I was thinking of the, as I watched the second time, the room that it sort of all takes place in, you know, it, it seems more like a rental than like a lived in place, right? Like this isn't just, he isn't actually living in this this space while he's doing this. He's not sleeping on the floor every night, most likely. Maybe for art's sake he was, but I doubt it. And so like, was there, like, was Bo Burnham like interacting with other people? And then it was like, oh, all right, well, I got to go into the 
the room now and do my thing for six hours. And, you know, that kind of weird transition back into like sort of climbing back down the well uh, to, to sort of make this thing and getting yourself into a headspace of that. Like I, that struck me as like, a, you know, is this some shitty rental in LA that he just was like, yeah, this is perfect for exactly where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so then it, uh, good segue. I, I think the next thing is he goes into like being stuck in a room and it's really a setup to explore his whole online career and how some of the, in his words, vaguely shitty stuff uh, that he has said in the past, uh, how he should be judged for that. Should he be judged for it? Like, I thought this was a really interesting part of the show. Um, I, do you guys have initial thoughts? I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm just going to ramble. So if, if somebody wants to jump in and, and set the stage a little bit, but there's, uh, there's a couple different, a couple different spots where, you know, there's just him sitting at the piano. I thought he does a cool job of showing kind of the extended view of, of that, you know, singing through the whole song and then just, all right, let's just do one more. And this whole idea of like constantly having to, you know, for lack of a better sports uh, cliche, like leave it all on the field like these very emotional, like let's plumb the depths of, of my humanity for this song real quick. Uh, no, you know, it took too deep of a breath on that one. Let's do it again. And so he does a good job of, of explaining that. And I think that stuck in a room song keeps, keeps kind of coming back almost like a, uh, the whole thing feels like a musical obviously, but that's almost kind of like the theme, you know, Bo's theme of, of the, uh, of the show. Cause you keep hearing that little melody underneath a bunch of other stuff. Like when he's doing the video game thing and, uh, towards the end, it's, it's kind of a similar song. So that was cool. And then he does the, uh, I don't even know what it's, what it's parodying, but just kind of like a generic eighties, almost like Jamie Lee Curtis kind of like exercise type video, which is the one, you know, what you're talking about, Randy, like, are, are, is anyone going to hold me accountable where he's, he's doing this thing where it's like, Oh my God, I've been such a bad boy. And like, I know my reckoning's coming and it's like, no, it's not like nobody fucking cares, man. What, nobody cares about, about this, this thing that's troubling you. Like quit. Yes. We're looking at you. Like you, you don't need to keep calling out for all this attention. And he keeps, he keeps doing these hilarious shots where, you know, it starts out almost kind of earnest and, and there are these kind of wide shots and then he'll just start doing these like really tight shots of like his sweaty belly button or <laughs> when he pumps the water bottle into his <laughs> belly button that was one of my favorites but it's just this idea of using like these sexy shots to seem vulnerable when in reality all you're trying to do is kind of just make yourself look cool right and uh that that was a really really good song where he's, he's talking about these you know oh i did i did these horrible things you know i dressed up like aladdin for for halloween like surely <laughs> someone's gonna cancel me for that and, and it's just this idea of like yeah no like nobody Nobody cares, man. You, you can you can stop worrying about that. Yeah. I do think it's like self-awareness to me is a, one of the best qualities in people um, because I think you're, you're at least sort of trying to acknowledge like, yeah, I'm I'm not so clueless as to realize that I haven't done some stupid shit. Like I, you know, I've there's things that I've written before that I was like looking back, I'm like that's super corny. Like I would totally right. not write that now. But like, I'm not going to just pretend that it doesn't exist because, you know, that was who I was in that moment and I was too earnest or too naive or whatever. And so I guess I, it would be super easy to write like a critical take of like, oh, Bo Burnham thinks he's so woke and thinks he's so smart. Uh, but what about, you know, when he was making fart jokes or when he was like, 
commenting about you know whatever and it's just it take he, he acknowledges he knows that it's kind of like taking away that weaponry from those people by sort of mentioning it first and making them sort of like have to be smarter about their criticism i, I think is kind of i don't like genius is the right word for that part but like it is it's very smart it's um it's something that not enough people do and it makes them sort of subject to easy criticism because the that's a total crutch of a critic right to be like oh well you used to be this so right. like you think you're so smart now that you evolve but you can't escape your past and it was like ha, ah, here's my past now like you come up with some actual like artistic thought about this because i've already taken away your easiest arrow in your quiver then you know he turns 30 i don't know if you guys have strong feelings on that extremely uh, strong i think this was i mean I, I don't know if it was my favorite song but it was up there it was in the top two or three uh where he <laughs> i don't know if it's it's the way this gets into like his talent i think to stage things and light things and almost it's almost like a dual talent right where you got to make it look impeccable for for being like this one-man show but you've also got to make it look funny and that's like a really uh, almost like tough combo where you got to almost get stuck in this uncanny valley of like, no, 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 that, that does look professional, but also something's just a little off. And it, it, I don't know why it's making me laugh so hard, but it's really making me laugh. And when he devolves into that, first of all, he does a really cool thing just like with the lighting. Like, I think you kind of see the, uh, you know, the, the lack of, uh, I don't know what you'd want to call it. Just like the restriction that he has with all the lighting and the setup and everything kind of necessitates his invention i guess but where he's doing the snare hit and he's flashing the the light behind his back on the wall it just looks really cool but when he goes and he's also still in his underwear this whole time which just underscores the a little bit of absurdity but also kind of this descent into anxiety and depression and just yeah a hundred percent and he's looking like vaguely vaguely like feminine you know, just kind of the way he's standing, like he, he looks like almost like a very proud, like female singer, but he's just completely stripped away, like any aspect of, of coolness to himself. And he's meanwhile, he's standing up there with this like impeccable lighting, singing about like how all his stupid friends are having stupid children. And it's just this idea that like they just don't get it. I'm out here living my absolute best life. Like, look how glamorous I look. I can't believe they're having all these stupid fucking kids. Like, look at what they're missing out on is, is kind of what the song screams out. And then he does an awesome job. He does this probably three or four times throughout the show. But, you know, the song ends and it is just the saddest look, right? Like all the lighting's yeah. gone. He's standing there in his underwear by himself. And, you know, not to get too personal, but like Randy, I'm, I don't know if you felt that way, but like when we're recording something or when you're putting out a video or premiering a video or something, you just get this like almost like a high, right? Where, sure. Oh my God, like people are consuming this thing that, that I'm putting out. This is awesome. And then it ends and you're kind of like, okay, like, I guess now we'll go, you know, do the dishes or uh, yeah. clean up the microphones or, or whatever. And not that it's on the same level at all, but it, it does definitely speak to a little bit of that, uh, that feeling. No, I, I, I echo you. Um, yeah, there's a, 
I, I felt it, you know, we've talked about it Sunday nights, right? After doing a, a podcast and just the struggle to come down, right? Uh, especially good, fun weekends of, of golf and you, you do this podcast and you think it goes really well and then it's like, okay, oh yeah, it's like 10.30 Sunday. Okay, uh, okay, I just go to bed, I guess. Or like, what do I, <laughs> what do I, right? you know, uh, okay, tomorrow's Monday. Yeah, it's, it's just that come down before kind of getting, you know, at, at its most cynical, getting back on the hamster wheel, I guess, a little bit. I think, too, the, the part that resonated with me, and it just kind of hints at this a little bit, is like that moment that when you go from being like a young sort of phenomenon to being like old in the eyes of culture or whatever happens so fast. Like you can't even quite realize it's probably takes five years but it's but it's just like a blink of it and it's like i that part of like oh like all these these uh zoomers are like making fun of me for being like out of touch millennial or whatever and uh and you know it's like i'm saying goodbye to my 20s and i got it i remember being like anything literally for me like anything seemed possible until i was 30 and then i was like huh like i i kind of thought that i would be doing something more when I was 30, but that's okay. Like I still got a lot of time, whatever. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's my own sort of bullshit that I am airing out here. But like, I think that there's definitely this weird moment if you're creating something, if you're an artistic person where you're not like the hot new shit on the street and you're kind of all of a sudden, like you're still good. And everyone thinks like, Oh, you're, this is a professional person. Like interested in reading their stuff, but there isn't the kind of like buzz that it once was. And so him kind of like wrestling with that thing of like, Oh, I guess I'll just be 30 now was like really kind of got to me a little bit more than I realized like, Oh, and I'm 43. And so it's like, huh, I guess I'll just be 43 now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something that resonated with me from, from the same song and and speaking about like friends and, and having kids is just that, like I've, I've lived it right. Just the, as you get a little older and just the divergent paths that you and your friends and everybody starts to take. And it, it can be a little bit of a struggle sometimes just getting comfortable with like your own situation and in, in your own spot. Um, I, I, I picked up obviously that aspect of it stood out a little bit to me, uh, being what 37, having no kids, obviously. So, um, yeah, that that was very interesting part of the show. I think the whole the whole tone kind of changes after that. And I know, you know, we're kind of coming up on time, so I don't want to breeze past like the, the very heavy rest of the show. But I mean, I think it, it kind of uh, descends into a little bit of madness of depression and anxiety and all, all sorts of different things. And, you know, we, we mentioned this very briefly up front, but he touches on it, too, that, you know, he was kind of this child of the internet grew up into a massive, you know, essentially stand up career where he's performing at all these theaters and then uh, ended up having severe panic attacks and had to kind of get out of, out of performing for five years. And, you know, if you read other interviews and stuff, he, he did a lot to kind of work on himself and really try to figure things out. And uh, it sounded like he was starting to get a lot better and was about to go back on the road and the way he puts it, you know, he never actually mentions the pandemic, which is an interesting choice uh, since that's obviously kind of the impetus for this whole show. But uh, he, he mentions in 
uh, one of the songs, you know, yeah. And then I was ready to go back on the road in January, 2020, like the funniest thing happened. And then, you know, it kind of goes into, <laughs> into another song, but there's a couple, a couple of cool highlights, I think from, from that last stretch. Uh, I think there's one song that's just called shit, uh, where he's, he's just, you know, essentially sounds like a kind of 1991, like, uh, you know, club DJ, like, just asking everybody like ladies do you feel like shit fellas do you feel like shit i just thought that was you know anybody who's ever gone through any sort of depression just that idea of like like how dare anybody write even like any kind of like fancy free carefree song in in a world like this how could you possibly take the time to just ask people to put their hands in the air like there's you know how could anybody ever feel that way and so just that idea of flipping that on its head and you know, yeah. Who else feels like shit was, uh, was pretty great. I think the, the probably standout, uh, maybe the one or two standout song for me was uh funny feeling where he's, he's oh, playing the acoustic God. guitar Yeah, and it's, uh, I, I've mentioned him a, a couple times, but I mean, it would fit so well on a, uh, it, it does feel a little bit like a, a father John Misty knockoff a little bit of, uh, especially if you listen to songs like, holy shit or uh bored in the usa uh just kind of this like we didn't start the fire style uh listing of kind of everything that's horrible in the world hooked around this like beautiful chorus and and really awesome chord structure and this idea that bo's like he's kind of he's not very good at playing guitar like you can tell he he mentions that and he's totally fine but just the fact that there's some imperfections i think offers it kind of this cool humanity, which is a, a really interesting choice for someone who's so good at playing the piano and could have just as easily played it there. But um, any other big standouts you guys had from kind of the last stretch? Well, the the whole internet song uh, yeah. was fantastic uh, and, and kind of, you know, can I interest you in everything all the time? Show us pictures of your children, tell us every thought you think. Start a rumor, buy a broomer, send a death threat to a boomer. Or DM a girl and groomer, do a zoomer, find a tumor in your Here's a healthy breakfast option. You should kill your mom. Here's why women never fuck you. Here's how you can build a bomb. And then it and then it changes pace and talks about what the internet was and before really before 9-11, but in its I guess more in its infants not infancy, but in the earlier days. Uh and then snaps back, uh, and and I thought what was interesting is the lighting behind him. Um, in the last part, goes into almost like some neural brainwave looking things, uh, and and he's then talking about, you know, what the internet is doing to, I think the modern Zoomer uh, generation, and it ends with like some maniacal laughter in there as well. Uh, I I thought that was powerful. But yeah, the, the guitar song, like in honor of the revolution, it's half off at the gap. And, you know, then it swings to like, there it is again, that funny feeling. Um, I, I found a lot of just personal, like he put into words, I think a lot of what I feel sometimes. Uh, I wrote down the quote, the quiet comprehending of the ending of it all. Um, I was like, wow, man, like, is that kind of what I feel? Um, I hope not, but it's kind of close. Um, yeah, I found Two, those 2,000 years to, to build it. Seven more to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Quiet comprehending of the ending of it all. There it is again, that funny feeling. That funny feeling. KBB, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, have either of you guys seen his uh, movie Eighth Grade that he directed? I, I'm oh actually gosh. really have interested. We? In, We're huge I, fans. I have not seen it, so I'm really interested in watching it, especially as uh, about to have a sixth grader. So uh, I'm sure it'll horrify me, but whatever. I mean, I, I just in reading up about him a little bit, and last week I saw he's you know he's a big David Foster Wallace guy, like especially short stories and stuff, and you know. Dave Voss Wallace, I think even maybe on the last podcast we talked about, I was like, has some things about him that are problematic, but was like super ahead of his time and smart in terms of like talking about how your emotions are all going to be manipulated by the brands and the boredom is the basically the human existence uh, and everything that, you know, is sort of meant to distract you from that is, is kind of awful in its own uh, origins. And so I think that he, I think he saw, I saw a tweet where he said, you know, I never would have been able to write such and such, um, I think inside, if I hadn't listened to this, uh, Dave Foster Wallace short story, um, such and such. And so it just, a lot of the times when, like a lot of people used footnotes to sort of like kind of be cool, like Dave Foster Wallace after he did it for a while, but they never quite understood why he was doing it the way that he did which was essentially like to sort of step outside the story and be like yeah this is really fucked up like this or this is really funny and that's what made wallace like really good at that kind of self-reverential kind of irony stuff and you know i think burnham obviously understands that same kind of thing it's like you can write about really emotional like interesting shit and at the same time being like, wow, isn't this fucked up? Like, you know, even commenting on it is fucking like contributing to the problem. And I admire that kind of uh, levels of depth. And where I guess let's let's end it with this is like, what how did you like the ending? Like, where do you think Bo goes from here? Uh, I guess what, what were your thoughts as as the as the special ended? I guess I just, I mean, I, I thought the ending shot was really kind of great, right? Like just him, you know, the laughter and the kind of weirdness of watching someone kind of go through a mental health hell. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to, I didn't quite get to that part at the end. So I'm only kind of remembering it from uh, the first watch, but just how sort of kind of creepy it felt like to, to think about like, you know, finally being ready to sort of come out of the hole and then like desperately wanting to climb back in. It's like the, the, the Plato thing with the allegory of the cave, like God, the, right. the world outside is so much scarier than the safe, you know, fake world inside. I, I think I want to go back inside the fake world, but once you're conscious of it, you kind of can't. Yeah. yeah I, I totally agree. I think there was some great stuff of him, you know, just kind of soullessly watching his own stuff. And again, kind of relating to the, uh, some of the, uh, joy that can come from that. Even though if I, if someone was to watch me, watch my own stuff, it would probably look pretty sad, much like, uh, it does for him. I, I thought that was really cool. And I mean, I think it just kind of, again, there's the, there's the shot where, you know, it's him naked in front of the spotlight. Right. And it just kind of unpacks like the whole thing where it's, it's, you can either see that as like, this really raw expression of how he's feeling, or you can look at it as, well, I mean, he had to like set up the spotlight and turn on the camera and take all his clothes off and he's and choose to include it in the edit. So how is he really feeling? And I just I think that kind of uh, connection or, or duality or whatever is is uh, kind of what it's all about. And I just I really enjoyed talking about it with you guys and and watching it a couple of times. 
always yeah. guys like i'm i'm always happy to get a little dark and deep uh with you boys and uh you know thanks to Bo for giving us an opportunity to basically uh for at least for me and randy to share our thoughts about how capitalism is destroying uh the entire <laughs> social fabric of us all yeah exactly um i'll just shout out i know one of the articles we passed around a sub stack by charlie warzel's called Bo Burnham and the online condition. Uh, if you're looking for something to read, I thought that was, that was really good, but yeah, guys, this was, this was a lot of fun. Um, I've watched inside twice now and I feel like I could watch it a few more times just to pick up on more little things and, and uh, just to see how the, the songs and, and the things, if, if they make me feel any different. Uh, but Bo Burnham's, I told DJ this, Bo Burnham is to me, he's like, uncomfortably smart like he's one of those people that are just like i i would consider a genius in a true sense of just like holy shit like that guy's from a different planet <laughs> we 100 agree yep i a, a friend of mine said you know i they, who didn't like it said she said you know i i feel like it was like he was teaching me how to play cards and like i don't really want to know how to play cards i just want to play cards or whatever and i was like i, I don't know if that quite makes sense to to me but i i get it if you don't want to see like how the sausage is made like how the world that we live in like this is not for you but if you really are like us and you're kind of a dork and you like thinking and overthinking about things then 100 like it's it's some really genius type stuff and i, I also sorry not to keep dragging it out but i, I also don't think it's uh I, I mean it feels much more like a harbinger right of of things to come. I feel like a lot of people who this might not resonate with is like, yeah, well that's because you don't spend all your time on the internet, but like, guess what? Like a lot of people, Bo's age and younger probably do. Like, I, sure. I don't think he's going to be the last person to feel this way. And like your kids, right? You're yeah. like somebody close to you is yeah. going through exactly this. Yeah. And even if you don't think that, like, Oh, I'm not that online or whatever, like the internet has affected your being in ways that you don't really quite understand and you're not quite really interested in getting deep into. And so I think there's, there's almost like a, you're living in a sort of denial if you don't think that these issues aren't coming to the forefront of your life over the, over time. So anyways, like, and subscribe <laughs> to the trap draw, uh, love putting out this content for you guys. And, uh, you know, we'll, you know, return to the channel next week. We'll have some more fire for you, Randy. Highlight of my week, guys. Thank you. Uh, in all sincerity, KVV, thank you, man. Uh, always, these guys. are always a pleasure. DJ, really appreciate it. And uh, hope everybody enjoyed. And uh, we will see you next week. Favorite trapper, the absolute truth, yeah, no joke.